Chapter 14 of Chinook the Cinnamon Cub. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chinook the Cinnamon Cub by Alan Chaffee. A Mouse on Wings. What's that? whispered Snooky as the cubs were starting out one evening in the glow of the long June sunset to explore a new part of the woods. A bird, of course, Chinook told her, as an orange-winged creature that at first looked as large as a crow swooped and darted after the flying insects which were its prey. But as the cubs came nearer, they could see that the body that carried those wide wings was only the size of a sparrow's. It's not a bird, said Snooky. It has no feathers. It's a mouse, then, guessed Chinook. Did you ever see a mouse fly? asked his sister scornfully. Well, you see one now, don't you? I don't know whether I do or not. For by now the cubs could see that the strange creature had perfectly naked wings that looked as thin as maple leaves, and that its little body was covered with fine fur. It was Nycteris, the bat, and except that he had no particular tail, he did look more than a little like a mouse, though his face and ears were rounder. His forearms seemed to be fast to the first half of his wings, and there three of his fingers had grown so long that they held out the rest of the wing like ribs of an umbrella. His thumbs, which came just halfway along the upper edge of the wing, had great hooked claws on them, and Snooky wondered what they could be for. He was altogether the queerest-looking small person the cubs had ever seen, as he swooped and circled after moths and crickets and mosquitoes. Chinook made a leap to catch him and have a closer look, but quick as was the little bear, the bat was quicker. He squeaked viciously and showed his teeth which grated together warningly. You little fiend, laughed Chinook. Are you really threatening to bite us? I'll certainly fight if I have to, the eerie mite assured them in a high-pitched squeak that they understood as plain as bear talk, and off he darted to the limb of a tree, where hung his mate, head downward. The cubs followed curiously. It looked as if Mrs. Red Bat had simply hung herself up by her thumbs, with her wings folded. That's one way of taking a nap, Chinook exclaimed. Let's try it. Oh, look, cried Snooky. She's got four baby bats. And sure enough, there were wee mites having their supper and hanging from their mother's teats. They watched for a while. Just at dusk, the mother bat flew off to get her own supper. But though they had been watching closely, the cubs could not see what she had done with her babies. There seemed to be no nest, and though they climbed the tree to find out, there was not a sign of a baby bat anywhere to be found. Then when the cubs had forgotten all about it in the fun of chasing crickets, she suddenly swooped so near that they could plainly see her. What was their amazement to find that she still carried the four little bats clinging to her teats? They must have been heavy youngsters too, but her wings were powerful, being so large for such a small body, and her devotion seemed to be equal to that of any other mammal. That same June, the ranger and his boy came one day, upon a mother red bat hanging head downward, asleep with her little ones, with her thumbs hooked in a low branch of a seedling yellow pine. But so still she hung, and so like the tree trunk was her orange tint, that even in full sunlight she might have escaped observation, had the boy not been uncommonly accustomed to using his eyes. Gently he reached out a hand and lifted one of the baby bats from where it clung to its mother. It was too sleepy to protest, its wee face looked as grotesque as that of a gnome the size of his thumb. Dad, 
Do you suppose I could tame it? The boy asked the ranger. It might die for need of its mother's milk, his father told him, but I once tamed a half-grown bat. They make gentle pets if you treat them right, but if they consider it necessary to their safety, they can bite ferociously. Most of our bats migrate south about September. I've heard sailors say that they sometimes fly hundreds of miles to reach the islands of the tropics. These red bats, and their cousins, the big, hoary bats, are clean enough. But when I was down in Mexico, I found a species that had the most disagreeable musky odor. They used to collect literally by the hundreds about old buildings and in church belfries and wherever they could find a dark cranny to hide in, till they simply made it impossible for people to come near. Those Mexican bats are the kind that live in eaves and ruins. And in Halloween pictures? I dare say. As they fly only in the dark, I suppose they need their scent to help take the place of sight. They go with the gila monsters and rattlesnakes. What good are they, anyway? wondered the boy. People used to think them an unmitigated pest, those smelly Mexican bats. But they do eat mosquitoes. I suppose they do their part, down in the malarial districts in helping to exterminate the malarial mosquitoes. They certainly do devour incredible numbers of insects, so I suppose they have their place in the scheme of things. Be that as it may, we do have a bat, the big-eared desert bat, that is known to help the farmer, and that deserves to be protected, just as much as the insect-eating birds. But people generally kill them on sight. These nice, clean red bats, too, help to keep the balance of nature. I have never killed one in my life. The boy's eyes marveled as he gently gave the wee bat to its sleeping mother. End of chapter 14. Recording by Valentina Vicelli.